Church, I'm so thankful to be with you today for our congregations meeting right now at North and Northwest and St. John and West and South. We're just so glad to be with you. I'm so glad to be with you in so many ways. I'll share a bit more later, but on January 1st of this year, 2020, laying in the ER with just nearly blind, I didn't know that I was going to be able to be here. I didn't know that I was ever going to be able to open up God's Word, see it, read it, study it, to be here with you, to see you, and to open up God's Word with you. And so I'm so thankful. Jesus has largely healed me through the prayers of so many of you, through the prayers of so many of God's people, like 90% of my vision is back, just kind of the, this top portion of my field of vision is out, um, but as I was thinking about it, I thought to myself, um, a lot of you, you just kind of do it to yourselves anyways when you wear baseball caps, right? And I've always had this big old head, and I can never get away with wearing baseball caps, and so God's been showing me what it's like to wear one, and I guess he didn't want me to miss out, um, And so, but joking aside, if you think about it, will you please pray for me? Will you please pray that God would continue to heal me and heal me all the way so that I could see, so that I could see clearly, Um, but if not, at least in this lifetime, that God would give me the faith to trust his grace that is sufficient. Um, We're going to be back in the gospel of Matthew today. Matthew has been showing us more than anything, his main point and goal is this, that, sh- that he wants to show us that Jesus, he is the one. That Jesus, he is the one. He's the Messiah that's been promised ever since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's been showing us in numerous ways, all the way from back in Matthew chapter 1, through the genealogy of Jesus, through the ancestry of Jesus, through showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, through showing us how God the Father himself saying, this is my beloved son, this is him, he's the one you've been waiting for, he's my son in whom I am well pleased, through him defeating Satan and resisting Satan's temptations through the words of Jesus, through his Sermon on the Mount, through the works of Jesus, through his healing and miracles. Over and over and over again, Matthew has been faithfully showing us that Jesus, he is the one. He is the one. And then in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus warns his disciples that when they go and declare this good news, that Jesus is the one, that the promised one is finally here, that many will reject them. That many will reject Jesus and this great news. And so, in light of Jesus' warning, we should be expecting some negative responses coming, right? But the first negative response that Matthew is going to show us will come from the least likely of people. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 11 today. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. And so after Jesus sends his disciples out on their mission, even, if, even before they finish their mission, Jesus goes and joins them in their mission. Isn't that comforting to know? He even does that with us today. Verse two, now when John heard in prison 
Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right, so what's happening here? Let's work backwards. Let's work backwards and look quickly at verses 7 through 11 to see what Jesus has to say about John the Baptist. Jesus asks the crowd in verses 7 and 8, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? It takes effort to go out into the wilderness. Why did you do it? He's saying you didn't go out to see somebody that's weak and wishy-washy like a reed in the wind, right? You didn't go out to see somebody in soft clothing whose voice and opinion could be bought and influenced by the king's wealth. He's saying, no, you went out to see and hear from a prophet, from a prophet of God. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, but John's not only a prophet. He's not only a prophet, he's the fulfillment of prophecy. And so he's more than a prophet. The prophecy of Malachi 3.1 where it says he's the promised messenger that will prepare the way for Jesus. He is the forerunner for Jesus. And listen to this. Jesus says in verse 11 that John is the greatest one born of women. That is to say that if you measure people by their own level of righteousness that John the Baptist, he would be number one. He would be number one, which is the reason why Jesus also says that the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Because the only way that we can enter into God's kingdom is not by our own righteousness, as great as it might be, the only way we could enter is by Christ's righteousness. But this is some high praise from Jesus, right? which is what makes verses two and three so shocking. Let's read verses two and three again. Now when John heard in prison, now when he heard in prison the deeds of the Christ who sent word by his disciples, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Are you the one who is to come? It's this word, Greek word, erkamai. It's a messianic title. Are you the one who is to come? Are you the promised one? Or shall we look for another? Verses two and three are so shocking because what Matthew is telling us is that the greatest one born of women, the one who is a prophet and more than a prophet, John, who is himself a fulfillment of prophecy, the forerunner for Jesus, is what? is doubting, is doubting, he's questioning. 
He was in prison, and he was struggling and questioning and doubting whether Jesus was really the one. And I wonder if there's anybody here today, and you're going through your own prison experience. You're here, and you're going through your own darkness and pain. You're here, and you're going through your own sorrow and disappointments, and it's causing you to doubt. It's causing you to question, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Are you really everything that the Bible tells me you are? You're asking, are you really the great physician? Are you really the great physician? Then why does the sickness still linger? You're asking, Jesus, are you really my advocate? Are you really at the right hand of the Father interceding on my behalf? Then why is my life such a wreck? You're asking, Jesus, are you really faithful and true? Are you really the friend that sticks closer than a brother? then why do I still feel so lonely? We're talking about doubt today. And so as we do, let's ask three questions. First, what is doubt? What is doubt? Second, where can I take my doubts? And third, how can I be healed? What is doubt? Where can I take my doubts? What do I do with these doubts? And how can I be healed? First, what is doubt? Doubt is something that involves your thinking and your feeling. When the Bible talks about doubting, it's when a Christian, it's when a believer's thoughts about God and their affections for God are shaken. It's shaken because of what they're going through. James 1.6 says, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. As Christians, we fall into doubt when the wind of our circumstances, right? It could be a loss of a job. It could be a tragic loss of a loved one. Or it could be an unexpected, devastating diagnosis. As Christians, we fall into doubt when the wind of the reality of what's happening in our lives doesn't seem to fit with God's promises. And so it causes what we believe about Jesus and the affections we feel for Jesus to be blown and tossed here and there. That's doubt. And we ourselves feel tossed here and there. We don't know what to think anymore. We don't know what to believe anymore. We don't know what to feel anymore. We don't know what to do anymore. That's doubt. For John, it was prison that was causing him to doubt. After calling out King Herod Antipas for his adultery of stealing his brother's wife, after he calls him out on that, John was thrown into prison. John the Baptist, remember, he's the wild man who wore camel's hair for clothing, ate locusts and wild honey, and lived out in the wilderness. A man who knew nothing but wide open spaces was now confined within the four narrow walls of an underground stifling dungeon with his life hanging on by a thread. The man who was once the sensation of the nation with large crowds following him was now irrelevant, forgotten, with the crowds now following Jesus, which, was, which of course was always his goal, but he never expected it in this way. John had spent his whole life preaching the Old Testament promises that when the Messiah comes, when he finally comes, that he would bring judgment upon the wicked, that he would purify Israel. John knew the messianic promise that when the Messiah comes, it says he would set the captives free. 
right? But he found himself in prison by an adulterer king, and that perplexed him. It made him doubt. But here's the thing about doubt that hopefully you find comforting. When the New Testament, when the New Testament talks about doubt, it primarily focuses on believers doubting. It primarily focuses on Christians doubting, as if to say you have to believe in something first before you doubt it. If you're here and you're not a believer, if you don't believe and if you've never believed, well, there's a term for that in the Bible. It's called unbelief, not doubt. And our God is able to overcome our unbelief. Every Christian in the room will be able to tell you a story, the moment in their lives when God overcame their unbelief. But today we're talking about doubt. John isn't unbelieving here. He's doubting here. He's saying, in effect, Should I continue to believe what I believe about you, Jesus, or should I believe something else? And some of you know exactly how that feels. You're going to Jesus and going, Jesus, I believe you. Should I continue to believe you, or should I believe in something else? So that's doubt. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Like John, maybe you've been serving Jesus the best way you know how. Often, doubting comes not when you've been unfaithful, but when you've been so faithful. You've been so sure of him. him. You've been laying it all down for him, but then something happened. You were laying it all down for him. You were obeying him. You were being so faithful, but then something happened. Something painful, something tragic, and honestly, something that you don't feel like you deserve in light of your faithfulness. And so it's making you doubt. It's making you question, Jesus, are you the one? What do we do with this question? Where can I take my doubts? That's the next question. We learn from John here what to do with it. What did John do with his doubts? Well, he took it straight to Jesus, didn't he? John expressed his doubts. He didn't just stuff it and pretend everything is okay. You're going through something incredibly difficult, and people are asking you how you're doing, and and you're like, I'm doing incredible. Jesus is amazing. But you're dying inside? That's not what John did. Take your doubts to Jesus. You won't disappoint him. Take your doubts To Jesus, you won't disappoint him. Think about this. Did Jesus say all those incredible things about John before his doubting or after his doubting? Before or after? After. And isn't it incredible? John's disciples tracked Jesus down to tell him, look, John is in prison and he's really struggling and he wants you to know, he wants to know Jesus. Are you really the one? And after hearing about John's doubts, Jesus just gushes all over him. You won't change the way that Jesus feels about you with your doubts. He's crazy about you, don't you see? You're not going to frustrate Jesus with your doubts. In fact, you'll make him so happy that you brought it to him. That you brought it to him. That you found it trustworthy to take the most vulnerable parts of you and to say, Jesus, this is what I'm going through. So take your doubts to Jesus. But John is 
teaching us something else about the way that we take our doubts to Jesus. Look at what John is asking. John asks, Jesus, are you the one? Why is this so incredible? Because when we're going through something exceptionally difficult and painful, we may very well be going to Jesus with it, right? But what do we usually say to Jesus? We say, Jesus, I have this problem, right? In the last month, I've been going to Jesus a lot. And more times than not, do you know what I've been praying? I've been praying, Jesus, I can't see. I'm blind. Will you please heal me? And there's nothing wrong with that. We saw all throughout our Fathom series, this is how so many people approached Jesus. And Jesus, in his mercy, he sees them. Jesus, in his mercy, hears them. He's hearing you every time you approach him like that. And, he, and he, in his mercy, he healed so many of them. He did. But what's so incredible about John here is that he too has a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a serious problem. He's in prison and he's about to be executed. And yet yet when he goes to Jesus, he doesn't mention his problems at all. He doesn't say, uh, Jesus, if you're the one, like I believe you are, can you get me out of here? He doesn't say that. That's not how he goes to Jesus. Instead, John goes to Jesus and has only one thing to say. Jesus, are you the one? And that's just incredible to me. Why? Because John is saying, Jesus, if you're the one, like I think you are, I don't need to tell you what I'm going through. You already know. John is saying, Jesus, if you're the one, you not only know what I'm going through, but you're in charge of what I'm going through. You know what you're doing. John is saying, Jesus, if you're the one, you know what I need even before I ask it. John is saying, the only thing that matters to me with an impending execution date is this. Jesus, are you the one? Because if you are, I can make it through. I can make it through this and anything else you have for me but only if, but only if you're the one. And isn't it wonderful the kind of faith that we can express to Jesus even in the midst of our doubting? Pastor Tim Keller, commenting on John's response here, talks about how he's utterly different than the thief being crucified on Jesus' left. Remember him? He says to Jesus, Jesus, if you're the one, Similar language, right? Jesus, if you're the one, if you're who you say you are, prove it. Prove it by getting us out of here. The thief is saying, if you're the one, prove it by solving my problem. But John is saying, if you're the one, you decide what's right for me to go through and not go through. And if you're the one, I'll make it through. You see, what the thief is doing and and what we do sometimes is to say, Jesus, will you do this for me? Will you fix fix this? Will you get me out of this? Then I'll know you're the one. Then I'll give my life to you. But that's coming to Jesus with conditions, isn't it? But if he's really the one, we don't get to go to him with conditions conditions. If he's really the one, he rules and he reigns and he knows exactly what he's doing in your life, your circumstances, your life events, even the painful ones. If Jesus really is the one, we don't get to go to Jesus saying, I know what my life needs to look like. Jesus, 
I have a plan for my life. And what's happening in my life doesn't fit with that plan. And so if you're the one, will you fix it? No, that's nonsensical, don't you see? If he's the one, he's in charge, not us. He knows what your life needs, not you. He's the one with the plan, not us. In fact, for John, we know that his circumstances aren't going to get any better. They got worse. John's going to be beheaded. And it may be the same for us. Our circumstances in this life may never get better. Jesus might not answer your prayers the way that you want him to. The question still remains, is he the one? Is he the one? Is he really in charge? Does he uphold all things by the word of his power? And so our greatest hope in the midst of our doubting is not found in saying, Jesus, if you're the one, fix it. But it's found in going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, show me you're the one. And if you are, I can get through this and anything else you have for me. This posture is exactly what Jesus is talking about in verse 6, where he says, And blessed, and blessed, happy, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Church, don't be offended. Don't be offended by how Jesus has written your story. He's the author. He's the perfecter of your faith. Church, don't be offended by the chapters that Jesus has determined to interweave into your story. Don't be offended that he has entrusted to you certain pains and certain sorrows and certain life experiences. Remember, Jesus isn't asking you to endure anything that he hasn't endured himself. I feel like all of us, including myself, maybe especially myself, I want Jesus I really do. I want Jesus. You know what else I want? I also want my nice little life. Right? We want Jesus. We really do. But we also want our nice little lives. But Jesus, in order for him to come into our lives, what did he have to do? He had to give up his nice little life. Jesus gave up his nice life to come into yours. And so are you willing to give up your nice little life to come into his? If Jesus is the one, if he's truly the one, he has a story for you that maybe you would have never chosen for yourself. Right? But it's a story that will shine like the sun throughout all eternity. Don't be offended by the story that he's entrusted to you. And so we're already into it, but how can we be healed from our doubts? We've already talked about the major ways. You take your doubts to Jesus. And if he's the one, trust that he has a better story for you. Don't be offended by him. But let's look further at Jesus' response to John to see other tangible and practical ways that Jesus heals our doubts when we bring it to him. What's Jesus' response to John? Verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing here is that for our doubts to be healed, 
We can't just hear about Jesus. Verse 2 says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, John had been hearing about Jesus, but that wasn't enough to dispel his doubts. John needed to hear from Jesus. And something else we see is that in, in some ways, John has already been hearing from Jesus. He was already getting reports from his disciples, but he was still doubting. And so what's Jesus' solution? He tells John's disciples, go tell him again. Go tell him again what you hear and see. And if you read this account in Luke chapter 7, what happens here, right then and there, as John's disciples are talking to Jesus, right then and there, a flurry of people with diseases and plagues and evil spirits, they come to Jesus, and right then and there, a bunch of blind people come to Jesus, and Jesus heals them all, right in front of John's disciples, and he tells them, this is for John. All of this was for John. Go and tell him. Go and tell him again what you have seen and what you have heard here. What we're seeing here is that we can't just hear from Jesus once. But we have to hear from him over and over again. What Jesus is showing us here is that it's going to take more than one touch. It's going to take more than one encounter with Jesus to heal us of our doubts. That's the nature of the darkness and the hardness of the hearts that we have. Too many of us are trying to run on the fumes of our once upon a time meeting with Jesus. Too many of us are trying to run on the fumes of being in the word too weeks ago. We're trying to run on the fumes of attending worship twice a month, as powerful as those times might have been, to dispel our everyday struggles. But everyday struggles and struggles can only be healed by everyday meeting with Jesus. As regularly as you struggle, as regularly as you doubt, regularly go meet with him. He loves to meet with you in prayer In the word, in worship, that's where healing is found. What else? Look at what Jesus tells John's disciples to tell him. He tells them to tell John that the blind receive their sight. And the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus is quoting prophecy here. Why does Jesus want John to hear this? Well, first of all, he's quoting this messianic prophecy found in Isaiah to tell John, I am the one. Your question, am I the one? I am the one. I am the Messiah. I'm fulfilling all the messianic prophecies. But I think another reason why Jesus wants John to know what he's doing is so that John would know and be reassured that in that very moment, Jesus was working. As John is in prison and facing execution, for us, as the pain lingers and and as the weight doesn't lift, Jesus wants to reassure you that he is a Messiah that is at work, often in the midst of our pain, right? When our prayers don't go answered the way that we want, we don't feel like Jesus is at work. Well, he may not be working in the way that we want, but he is working. Church, he is working, often in the silence, often through the pain. He's working. Church, no matter what you're going through today, rest assured that right now, he's at work in your life. He's at work in your life. And this is where community is absolutely key. 
And we'll close with this point. So in a very real way, John is hearing from Jesus, right? All these things that will reassure him and hold him up even unto death. But how will John hear from Jesus? How? Well, through his disciples, right? In other words, Jesus has a word for John, but how does he get that word to John? Through John's community. And honestly, this is how Angela and I made it through January, the month from hell. The month from Jesus, we should say, right? January 1st, 2020, I woke up in Colorado with a shooting pain up the back of my neck and into my eyes. I tried to wake up. I thought maybe I was just in a really deep sleep, and that's why everything was looking fuzzy. I kept trying to put my hands in front of my eyes, but I couldn't quite make it out. I saw some lights. I saw some shapes, but I couldn't see anything with definition. And so stumbled out of bed, stumbled out of the room, and I called for Angela, and I said, Angela, don't freak out, but I woke up with this shooting headache, pain in my eyes, and, and now I can't see. Will you please call Joel and Ashley, our dear friends that we were on family vacation with? Will you please come, and I'll just come pray for me? And the kids came down, and I wept as I couldn't make out their faces, I try to get one last imprint of their faces in my mind. I didn't know if this blindness was going to be for good or what. I was just trying to get one last imprint of their faces in my mind. And I just couldn't. I couldn't. And I was panicking in my heart. I just felt like I was just going to jump out of my chest. And I promise you, without this text, without this sermon in mind, my prayer was, Jesus, if you're not real, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Jesus, if you're not who you say you are, I can't make it through blindness. I called Kevin. I called Matt, and they prayed for me. I couldn't read anything. And so my friends would send me audio recordings of them praying for me. Aaron Ivey and his band literally sent me a recording of them singing over me. Friends, would bring us dinner. We told the elders. They circled me. They laid their hands on me. They begged God for, them, for God to hear me. Friends drove me around to, from CT scans to MRIs. My doctor was praying for me. When all of a sudden I would just jolt up in the middle of the night with my heart pounding out of fear that, what's, is this rest of my life? Is this really happening? Am I going to be blind for the rest of my life? Angela would just hold me. And she would pray truth over me. I kept calling my dad. My mom's passed away. She's with Jesus. I kept calling my dad just to hear his voice, him praying over me, always in Korean because he said it was more powerful that way. <laughs> and as a side note for the dads in the room, foster your relationship with your kids in such a way. Love them, serve them, pray for them in such a way that even when they're 41 years old and they're going through something hard, that they long to just call you so that they could hear you, just pray over them, God's promises and his blessings. In the midst of me doubting, my community, my church, my dear friends and family, they kept praying and reminding Angela and me over and over and over again the fact that Jesus is on his throne. 
And he's in charge. He's ruling. He's reigning that we can trust him. No church that compared to what many of you are going through, what I'm going through is not much. I know that. That's the scariest thing that I've been through. And it's in those times that I need to hear from Jesus. In the hardest times, the hardest things that you'll go through, you need a word from Jesus. Without it, you won't make it. But church, listen, oftentimes that word that Jesus has for you, it comes through his church. It comes through your community. And as that community, as the church of God, we need to pay attention to that. We need to pay attention to the people all around us that are in pain, that are, in str- that are struggling, and therefore doubting, and therefore need to hear a word from Jesus, and he wants to give that word to them, but oftentimes that word is going to come through you to them, right? And so church, let's be a church that, that reminds each other That our Jesus, he is who he says he is, that he's on the throne, that he's sovereign, that he's absolutely reigning and in control. Let's be a church that surrounds each other to comfort each other, that if he's the one, that we can trust him with our stories, that we need not be offended by him. Let's be a church that relentlessly pursues and serves those who are in pain, those who are doubting and feeling abandoned and alone to say, our Jesus, he is the one. And he is working. Friend, you may not feel like he's working in the way that you want. He may not be answering your prayers in the way that you're asking. And I'm so sorry for that. But have no doubt. Rest assured, he is working exactly in the way that you need. He's our God who keeps his promises. He makes the blind to see. He makes the blind to see. I can testify to that. He makes the lame to walk. He makes the deaf to hear. He even raises the dead. He cares about the poor and lonely. And he brings the gospel to them. And so surely he cares for you. He cares for you. Surely we can trust him. Church, whatever you're going through today, whatever you're going through, if Jesus is the one, And he is. He is. You're going to make it through. You're going to make it. You're going to make it through today. Whatever he has for you. You're going to make it through tomorrow. Whatever he has for you. And the day after that. The day after that. Until you see him face to face. And you're able to say, it was all worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. Jesus, you're better than my plans. Jesus, you're better than all my hopes and aspirations. You have written for me a story that I would have never dreamt of. I would have never chosen for myself. But now it shines like the sun to glorify you forever. Jesus, you're better. Jesus, you're worth it. Church, you're going to make it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son. He rules. 
he reigns. He upholds all things by the word of his power, including us. As holy and as high and lifted up as he is, he is mindful of us. He is mindful of me. He is mindful of you, church. He knows exactly what you're going through. And I know sometimes we can't imagine how a good God would bring such things into our lives. And yet in the mystery of things, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He is unlike us. And that's good news. Lord, there's so many things in our lives we would have never chosen to invite into our lives, and yet you've written it into our stories. And so we say to you, even in the midst of doubt, but in the faith that you supply, that we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We just ask that over and over and over again, every day, that you would show us that you're the one. And if you do that, that'll be enough. That'll be enough, Lord. That'll be more than enough. We'll make it through. We'll make it through, Lord. We can't wait to see you face to face. And to tell you that, Jesus, you are better and you are worth it. We love you. Keep us until that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.